Romans chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Continue studying through this just incredible letter that Paul wrote again to the church in Rome, a church that he had never visited. He met a couple of them, but uh, the church there that is, that is full of believers, full of, and, and the, the great part about it as we read through the Bible, remember it is history, but there, technology, a few other things like that, but other than that, real life, day-to-day stuff, no different than what you and I face. Going through life, and, and Paul now as he's writing this letter to them, again, dealing with real life issues and dealing with real life things that we deal with together. And he spoke of it right away. We see his heart, we see his passion right out of the gate, you know, when he said that, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news that we all need to hear. It's the good news of God, that salvation is available to anyone who would believe, anyone who would receive the free gift of grace that comes to us through the Lord Jesus, available to anyone and everyone. And the fact that we all need it, we all need to be saved because we are all hopelessly and helplessly lost in in sin. If we talked about the sin that is ours, that we commit, the sin nature that comes to us, he very clearly lays out for us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then at the end of chapter 5, when he spoke of that sin increases, but grace increases all the more... That amazing truth that, yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but no one has fallen too far away from the grace of God. No one has ever out-sinned the grace of God, and he, he outlines that in it, that, that the grace of God is greater. The gift is greater than, than the, the sin that is there, but it must be received. And he talks of that, and he's going through that in just this amazing letter as we continue to navigate through it piece by piece. But as we got into chapter 6 last week, he spoke of that amazing truth, again, that where sin increased and grace abounded all the more. The reaction of some, and again, as he had traveled around, no doubt had heard the responses before when he was speaking and interacting with people. And again, this is a letter written to the church in Rome, so instead of waiting for the reply to come... He anticipated the same questions, the same issues, so they were, that, okay, so if that's the case, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, wouldn't it make sense that we should go on sinning, and even sinning even greater, so God's grace could be even more on display? And he said, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense to think along those lines. And he went on to say and explain it very clearly, saying, guys, why would that make sense for we who have died to sin, that nature, that, that, that way of life before, why would we still go on living in it? This new life that we have, we are baptized into Christ Jesus, as we spoke of last week. We are identified completely, totally with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are to walk in the newness of life, this new life that is ours. He speaks along similar lines in Ephesians chapter 2, where we came from, where we are now. Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. No one is excluded from this. We all lived that way. We all lived, again, in that nature, 
under the power of, of, of sin, under the power of the enemy. He says, well, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then the next, I've shared with you many times, two of my favorite words in all of the Bible come next, but God. But God. We all were there. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice he says, not only are we saved and rescued out of that in new life now, but positionally, we are with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. We stand there again, as we've talked before. You're, there is no record of your sin as a born-again believer. There's no record of it in heaven. You are declared righteous. That's what justification is. Declared righteous in heaven, standing positionally there now. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This new life that we live, this new life that we have, it is eternal, it is abundant, and we are to walk in the newness of that life. We spoke of that last week. We talked of the fact, again, justification being declared righteous, sanctification is this life now lived out. And it's not us imitating Jesus. We talked about this. It's not about imitation. It's not about, okay, we read the Gospels. This is what Jesus did. Now I follow that example. No, it's not imitation. It's impartation. It's Christ in me. His life in me. Him now living through me. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This new life, this newness of life that we walk in as born-again believers, Jesus in me, walking it out. We looked at the first 11 verses of last week of chapter 6, and as I've shared with a few people this week, it was really hard to stop there last week. It was really hard to leave off where we did. It's an ex it's extremely important truth. We're going to pick it up and continue on today. It's an extremely important foundational truth that we had to get a hold of. But it was almost like I wish we could have taken a, you know, a little 10-minute break. Everybody could run to the restroom, get a drink of water, and then all come back so we could keep going. Because I don't know about you, but we leave off last week and we didn't address the elephant that's in the room. The fact that, okay... I believe it. I accept it by faith. I am a new creation. Christ in me. Sanctification. We went through that again and again and again. But if that's true, why do I still battle so much with temptation? Why is it that I still succumb to temptation? Is that a contradiction? Is, is what we talked about last week, is it, and then, and then the, 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 the doubts come in? The questions come flooding in. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure most, if not all of us, hear that voice from time to time that says, and you call yourself a Christian? Christians don't think those things. Christians don't say those things. Christians don't do those things. You can't be a born-again believer and think that, say that, do that. 
If you are a born-again believer here today and you hear that voice, that is the enemy of your soul. Bible says in Romans 8.1, when we get there, it says there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Those thoughts, those things, that's coming from the pit of hell, and he's a liar. There is conviction. There is, a, there is a battle that continues to go on. Again, Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit in us as a seal, convicting us. We talked of this last week. This is an important distinction. It, you, you could say you're a Christian all you want, but if you're, if you're truly a born-again believer, you cannot continue in the habitual, ongoing, unrepentant lifestyle of sin. We looked at verses that say that. Those things can't go together. That's not what we're talking about today. If that is you, if you've said, well, I, you know, I checked a box one time, I said a prayer real quick one time or, or whatever, and you have no problem living a lifestyle of sin contrary to the word of God, we, you need, we need to talk after the service. You need to come on up. We need to have a little, little discussion. But I'm talking to the rest of you, born-again believers here today that struggle with that, that are bothered by sin in your life. Let me just say this. First of all, if there is sin in your life, it's supposed to bother you as a Christian. And again, that's conviction, and it should lead to repentance and, and to turning back. But that's what I want to look at today, and that's where Paul takes us as we continue on. But it's important that we, go, that we, that we get the, the groundwork fixed again here before we move on, because Paul uses the word know or knowing three times in the first 11 verses, in verse 3, 6, and 9. To know this. It's something that we need to grab a hold of and know, even though we don't feel it all the time. We spoke of that earlier and, and sang that. That's great. It doesn't matter what I feel. We need to accept it by faith. And by faith without fully understanding it. That's again part of faith. There's a beautiful thing. That's why I read as far as I did in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that in eternity to come, we're going to continue to learn more about the grace of God. We're going to continue to learn more about his love and the depths of, of what that is. We're not going to fully understand it this side of heaven. There, it's going to take eternity. So it's a matter of grabbing a hold of it by faith. Not claiming a promise, but acting on a fact. Notice that you dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is stated in his word. That's a fact, because he said so. That's who we are as born-again believers. He's not, it's not a command to become dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It's a proclamation of who we are. We have to accept that by faith. It's a matter of, of our heart and our mind setting to that and saying, I claim that. That's what the word of God says is mine. This new life, dead to that old life, arisen anew in Christ Jesus. Again, baptized into Christ Jesus. Death, burial, resurrection, new life, walking in the fullness and newness of this life. It's important we have that because verse 12 starts with the word, therefore, <laughs> And so because of that fact, because we know that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, he says this, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. 
And do not go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Here we see that again, as born again believers now, we have a choice. What he's speaking of here now is, is a matter of the will. Temptation is a powerful force and it does not stop when you are born again. The difference, as it's outlined for us in verse 14, is that sin is no longer master over you. We have the power of the risen king of kings in us. We no longer are, are slaves to sin. Verse, verse 17, verse 15 and 16, we're gonna look at that in a second. Speaking of being slaves, slavery and slaves of obedience, that type of thing. But skip down to verse 17. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient, notice, from the heart, from the heart, not external, internally. Again, born again, new heart, new life, obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We now have a choice as believers as to who we're going to follow. That choice wasn't available to us before. We followed after the lusts of a flesh in the world and all of those things. But notice, no longer slaves to sin, slaves to righteousness. Still slaves, different masters. And that makes all the difference. Sin, horrible, wicked, ruthless master that cares nothing for you desires nothing but your destruction. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his own life for you. There's a, there's a difference. Being slaves to sin, that's bondage. But there's a term that's used in the, in the New Testament, the translation of the Greek word doulos, in most of your translations, is translated bondservant. And it carries with it the idea that yes, you are still a slave, but you're a slave by choice. Bottom line is you're like, I could, go, I could go a different direction, but why in the world would I want to? And there were masters back then, and that's what the term was used for, bond servant, is someone was allowed to go free. They had served their time, or they had been purchased, or whatever, purchased out, and they said, I don't want to be free. I want to keep serving this master because he provides for me, he protects me, he watches out for me, he loves me. Why in the world would I want to go anywhere else? And that's the relationship as we serve, the paradox that is there, that as we serve as slaves of the Lord Jesus, we have our freedom. He continues, and, it's imp and as we now go back here and we look, he says, don't allow sin to reign. It's a choice. But don't allow it to reign in your mortal bodies. And again, the important distinction. As Christians, we stand righteous before God. Justification. 
We've looked at this numerous times as we've studied through this. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 tells us, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We stand positionally righteous before God forever. Our immortal soul, untouchable, sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what he's speaking of is now our mortal bodies. Now, while we are continuing in this life before we get to heaven, one one day we will have glorified bodies, not mortal bodies anymore, glorified bodies. No more sickness, no more pain, no more aging. Anybody ready for that? I, some people, I've, had, I've heard people say, and you'll have hair again. I'm like, you know what? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. God only made certain number of perfect heads. The rest he covered with hair. So I think we're all going to be bald in heaven when we all have perfect heads. But anyway, that's just my opinion. Paul speaks of the fact that this mortality is going to have to put on immortality. There's going to be a change in our bodies. And he's speaking of until that happens, while we're here, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Right now, it's still subject to corruption, sinful lusts. Then, praise the Lord, it will never have to worry about it again. But while we're still here, we're still subject to it. Paul will say when we get to chapter 7, in his flesh, in his mortal body, dwells no good thing. It's not like it's 50-50. Nothing in the flesh. And he's saying, because this, don't obey its lusts. And the great part about it is we have, we have the ability now not to do that. We have the upper hand now because Christ is risen from the grave and he lives in us. We now have that. We didn't before. We see in Galatians, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Walking by the spirit won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And we're gonna see this as we move through finishing today and then into chapter seven and even into chapter eight, this, this continual thing. But notice there is a battle, ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit. We walk by the Spirit, will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin. He says this also, don't continue presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't continue presenting. That word presenting, it's used five times because it says, instead of doing that, present it to the Lord. It means to yield, to surrender to place yourself at the disposal of. And he's like, don't keep doing that when it comes to sin. Don't keep going back to that same place when you know that that's a problem. It's that, that definition of insanity. Don't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But put on the Lord Jesus, as he'll say in Romans 13, and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. No provision. When we look at these, these couple of verses here, it's obvious that 
even as born-again believers, because remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Christian church. He's not writing it to Nero. He's writing it to the church. And so if he's writing it to the church, it's obvious that sin can still reign, that, that we can still present our bodies to sin. If it wasn't possible for believers to sin or to do these things, it would be pointless for him to write about this. But the important thing that we need to understand, what he's saying is it's equally obvious that sin does not have to reign in our lives anymore. And we have a choice as to who we submit to. We no longer have to submit to sin. We can submit to righteousness. We can submit to the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what he goes on to say here and even into Romans chapter 12 where he says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. No longer, verse 13, don't go on presenting members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The choice that we have. He says at the end, of verse 14, you are not under law, but under grace. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time diving into that as we get into chapter 7 and then again on into chapter 8. But it's a statement of fact. Notice, again, it's, it's, it's not a, like a conditional thing. It is a statement. You are not under law, but under grace. Now, this is something, again, he has no doubt talked of many times to many different people, and he anticipates what's going to come next as soon as he says that statement. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Anticipating that there are those that are going to hear, oh, you mean I'm not under the law anymore? I'm under grace, so I can sin all I want? I got the grace card, and I got my, I got my pin number, so I can just keep swiping every time. It's not at all what he's talking about. And he's saying, if that is in your heart, if that is in your mind, may it never be. Destroy that thought. Repent right now. That's arrogance. That is outright, absolute arrogance. They're totally missing the point of grace. We'll, like I said, we'll get into that a little bit more in the weeks to come. But I think for the, the point this morning, as we'll continue on, starting in, in verse 15 and following then, verse 16, notice he starts out, do you not know? Don't you understand? Remember last week, we saw that in verse 3, the same thing. I don't, he's, not, he's not speaking condescendingly. He's saying, don't you understand? Don't you know? And he continues, that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Verse 17 again, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 
Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Again, I'm giving you an illustration that you can understand so that we can help define the, the, the process here. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of, for, of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we look through this, Paul asks that, that singular question at the beginning of verse 16, do you not know? But as I read through this, I see five things that he's talking about sin when we look at this, and we could say almost like, don't you know this? First off, when we look at verse 16, don't you know that sin will always take you farther than you want to go? Sin, when you, when, you, when you present yourselves in this way, you become a slave. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Sin will come with that initial enticement that says, you know what, you only have to do this once. You know what, just try it one time. Just taste it one time. Just go one time. You won't have to do it again and nobody will have to know but sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Every time. Sin promises freedom. You do this and you'll be free, but it delivers nothing but bondage. Slavery. Sin will promise that there's no strings attached, but what it doesn't tell you is that there are chains attached. I have yet to sit down counseling anyone that has fallen into adultery, alcoholism, drug use, pornography, any of those things that said, you know what, I woke up one morning and I set out to end up here. When we, when we look at the story of Jesus when he crossed the Sea of Galilee and he gets to the other side and he meets that man so full of demons that he calls himself legion because there's so many demons inside of him. He did not wake up one morning and say, you know what, I am going to go find as many demons as I can to live in me. We don't know the story of how we got there, but I would venture a guess it started with just one decision that said, you know what, I'm just going to do this once and I'll, I'll come right back. Believe in the lie. But sin will always take you further than you want to go. When we look at verse 19, Paul, Paul makes it clear that, that the decision that you make, if sin leads to further, further sin, lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, but when we make a decision to follow after righteousness, it results in sanctification. And when we see there, don't you know that in this life that we live, this Christian walk that we have, it's not a matter of sitting still. 
We are either moving forward towards sanctification or we are moving towards lawlessness. Sin will tell you, hey, you know what? Just kick back and relax. You can't do that. You know, it's, it's referred to over and over, this Christian life. I love it. It's, called, it's referred to as a walk. It's referred to as a race. It is never referred to as a lazy boy. It's never referred to as, as, a, as a pool lounge chair. We need to be moving forward, pursuing righteousness. Sin will tell you, you know what? Just relax. Just relax. You're good. And then before we know it, we're going the other direction. We're caught in the other current. And that leads us to the third one. Don't you know that sin always leads to more sin? As he says here, lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. It always leads to more sin. David and Bathsheba. David, one night, he's out on his, out on his porch. First of all, laziness. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And that led to the opportunity for lust, a lustful thought to come in. And he didn't deal with it when he should have. And that lustful thought then led to adultery. And then adultery led to deception as he tried to cover the whole thing up and deception led to murder. Again, David didn't start out that night saying, you know what, I want to kill somebody. But that's where it led because sin always leads to more sin. Verse 21, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things from which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Don't you know that sin always produces death? I read this week, somebody came up with this. They said, the mathematics of sin. Sin will add sorrow, subtract joy, multiply pain, and divide the heart. That's the math of sin. Promises everything else, but that's the way it works. And sin always leads to death. Now again, as born again believers, as we've and underscore this again, we stand perfect and righteous positionally before the Lord. But I have seen death come to many born again believers because of sin. Death to a relationship, death to a marriage, death to a ministry, and every time death to joy. wondering, why, why, why am I feeling this way? I used to be so full. I used to be so full of joy, and now I'm, I just don't have it anymore. <clears throat> David, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he repented, it's recorded for us in the Psalms, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because it had died. He didn't say restore my salvation. He said restore the joy of my salvation. Sin always leads to death. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He said, I have to be purposeful in this because I am out there with the gospel. I am out there talking about this newness of life. And if I get lazy, 
if I fall into that, it will, it's, it's not that he's going to lose his salvation. He's saying my ministry is going to be ineffective. I'll lose the testimony that I have. Lastly, verse 21, as we've already seen, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? Don't you know that sin always promises what it can't deliver? Interesting, that word there, benefit, is the Greek word karpos. Most other times it's translated in the New Testament, it's translated fruit. And I thought that was interesting. Speaking of where we are now, fruit. Because it was that fruit that looked so enticing. Though God said don't do it, it was that fruit that the enemy convinced Eve to, to look at and to ponder. And as she did, it's, it says that she looked at it and it, it, it looked like, that, that, I want that. That's what I need. Bottom line, truth be told, straight up, sin is pleasurable. Sin is desirable. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be talking right now about this. I mean, nobody has to tell you not to chew on a handful of thumbtacks. Don't have to tell you that. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is desirable, but the problem is that it can't deliver at all what it promises. It looks good, but it, can't, it cannot deliver on its promises. Isaiah 55, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So you, you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Don't, don't listen. Don't look at that, that, that what is promising to satisfy you but what can't satisfy you. It's a lie. It's a deception going all the way back again to the very first. I looked this up yesterday just out of curiosity. The number one selling candy, candy bar, candy, in, in the United States is M&M's. Second, just that's free information, by the way. <laughs> Second is Snickers. That tells me that we as a people have totally bought the lie because they tell us that Snickers really satisfies. So much so, and I don't know if you've seen it, but they've even changed the label on some of the candy bars. It doesn't say Snickers anymore. It says satisfies. That's a lie. That is false advertising. Because a Snickers bar can't, cannot satisfy you. When you're hungry, your body is saying, I need nutrition. I need vitamins. I need fuel, the fuel that I was created to receive in order to keep on going. And you know what a Snickers bar does? It covers that. 
It gives you something false instead of what you need so that you don't get what you need in order to continue. It's like a double whammy. You don't believe me? Try living on Snickers for a month. Your body wasn't created to run on Snickers, but it really satisfies. And see, that's the problem with sin. Sin says, I know God created you. I know God told you that this is how you are to live in order to have fullness of life, but do this and you can get the same result. And it's a lie. It can't deliver. It can't do it. It only, it only covers, it only masks, and again, temporarily. But praise God, we have a choice. We don't have to choose this. Verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, your fruit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. Eat that, die. Eat this and live. Now, I'm not saying you're going to die if you eat a Snickers. Don't get me wrong. It was an illustration. But clearly laid out here for us. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know up to this point if I've succeeded in, in encouraging you or discouraging you. Because if I were to pass out a little, a little questionnaire at the beginning of the service and said, okay, do you know this about sin? I would imagine that pretty much everyone in the room would have scored 100% on the test. The point isn't that we don't know it. And so I, again, I, can, I come at the end of this myself even, and I can, I can find myself, you know what, feeling even almost more discouraged because, okay, now I know I know it, and yet I'm still doing it. I'm still struggling in, in certain areas. Yeah, I'm, I'm further along than I used to be, but I'm still in these types of things. Man, Paul, just it, what is it about Paul? What is it about this teaching? Would you do this for me real quickly now in the few minutes that we have left? Turn with me to Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. Because the, the what, understanding all of this is so, so important, but the how, especially when it comes to this, and when we get it directly from the word of God, it's fantastic. So understand too, now we've said, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans while he was in Corinth, had never been to Rome. It's going to be a couple of years later when he's in Rome as a prisoner that he will write this letter to the, to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter three, he starts out and he's talking about all that used to be, that he used to strive after, the worldly things and even, even the religion things and all of that kind of stuff. And he had achieved it, he had attained it. He couldn't climb any higher. And he says, verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, sanctification, Christ in me, and that I may know him, not know about him, but know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And again, when we read through this, isn't that the heart of every one of us as born-again believers? The walk in the newness of this life, to know him, to know my Savior on that more personal and intimate level. More and, the more I know him, the more I want to know him. The power that is ours because he lives in us. And again, we could, if we just stopped there, we'd be like going, great, Paul's there. He's attained it. He's reached it all. Keep reading. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it. I'm not to the end yet. Or have become perfect. I'm, I, I haven't become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I haven't become perfect. I am not totally mature. I'm not totally complete. I'm not totally fully developed in this. Paul still struggled. Paul still stumbled, as we'll see as we get into chapter 7 some more. And the great part about it, that word perfected that is used there, is also used in chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, He who began a good work in you will perfect it. Not might perfect it. He will. And he said, as I'm looking forward to this and laying hold of this, he says, this one thing I do, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal, we all want that, the same goal, <laughs> to stand before him one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. To receive the crown, to, to, to be in that place. That's, that, that's the goal. And there's some debate about what Paul meant by the prize, but I tend to believe with some who believe that the prize is the call itself, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that that's the prize. Because when, when I personally think about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure when you do too, you can get right there with me, the fact that God would choose me, that he would, he would call me, that he would equip me, that he would desire to partner with me. <laughs> and he says that of all of us. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that lasts. And that fruit is gonna be different. By the way, same fruit that we were talking about, that same Greek word earlier. But go and bear fruit that lasts. Each one of us called to different things in the body of Christ. Go and bear fruit that lasts. And he said, because that's the fact, anything that you need in order to bear that fruit, you simply ask the Father in my name for it, and it's yours. My life verse, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. 
because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Guys, I believe that that's the prize. The upward call, the call from God himself. But then he speaks of this, and again, here's, here, we get to the, here we get to the meat of it, what I, what I want to get to right now. He tells us what the, what the process is. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. The enemy will continually try to tell you that you can't do this, you're disqualified from this, or for whatever reason, because of what happened. And I've heard this before, I love this. When the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you tell him about his future. Because our past was paid for on the cross. And, and yes, okay, our redeemed life, our former life, dead, dead to that, now alive, living this out. Well, what about the sin that, that we, we fall into here again, even as we're moving through this, when we succumb to temptation, even as believers? Well, the Bible is clear. It says, confess your sin, repent, turn away from it, turn back to God. It says, confess your sin, and he who is faithful and just will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the great thing about time is that it keeps moving so that everything, <laughs> all of that is in your past. This morning, if any, of you, if any of you sinned this morning, confess it now, it's in your past. We keep moving on, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting doesn't mean that we don't remember it physically. It means it's not going to impede the next step I take. So forget what lies behind. Time keeps moving. What I just said is behind us. And so is that. And so is that. The enemy's going to try to convince you continually, pressing on to what lies ahead. Guys, here it is. Bottom line, the power of sin is broken. It's broken for us as born-again believers, but it is still present. And it wants to reign. But as children of God, it has to pass through our will first. Temptation comes to us and says, okay, who's going to be your master in this next moment? Sin, which leads to sorrowful consequences, or Christ, which leads to a joyful harvest. Choice. We have a choice. Are you tired of the fight? Well, let me give you some good news. If you're fighting, it means you're still in the game. I liked it this week. I read this. It says, dead men don't fight. <laughs> Stay in the fight. As a matter of fact, when it really starts getting hot and the fight and it starts to be like coming from multiple directions, know that you're in the will of God as long as you keep fighting and keep choosing Jesus. The enemy's going to keep coming harder and harder. Press on. Press on. I keep pressing on. Press on. Dale McNeil, our brother who's now with the Lord, went home to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. I shared at his memorial service. I, I remember one of the things that so blessed me about Dale is 
virtually every time I saw him, he would look me in the eye and he'd say, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. So I have a couple of things. I just jotted these down yesterday real quick because again, I, I don't know about you, but I like little tangible things every once in a while and uh, want to share this with you because we're going to face temptation, all of us. Every one of us. It's not going to stop. And if maybe you can grab a hold of, of these three things as to how to maybe perhaps battle them, try to make it something that's easy to remember, jot them down if you would. But first of all, if need be, physically relocate. If you face a temptation that comes to you and, and you need to, get out. If you, if you struggle with pornography or lust and you're on the computer and something pops up that's, that, that triggers that, get out of your chair, get out of the room and tell your wife, tell somebody else to go back in the room and turn the computer off. Get out. If you're in a situation at work that um, all of a sudden a sit, but that could start getting awkward or inappropriate, get out of the room. If you're in the coffee, coffee area and gossip starts, get out of the room. Physically relocate if needed. Prayerfully meditate. Take everything to the Lord. Take every thought captive and surrender it to the Lord in prayer. And then worship. Prayerfully meditating. Meditating on his word. Singing his word out loud to him. Sing praise songs. If need be again, and this is something that I, for the most part, have done for a long time now, my entire music vocabulary or library is worship songs. Keep playing them, worshiping God when you're in your car, when you're working out, and get those going through your mind. And then when those things come and those thoughts come, just start singing out loud to the Lord. Bible says make a joyful noise. I'm so glad for that because I can't sing, but I sing out loud a lot. We're going we're gonna to close with a song in a second that I hope sticks with you all week because the enemy's going to keep trying to come after you with things and try to, again, that lie, all of that type of stuff. The, the, what we repeat a few times in the song says, I'm no longer a slave of sin. I'm a child of God. Sing that out. Proclaim it. And thirdly, so physically relocate, prayerfully meditate. Thirdly, purposely infiltrate. If need be, get on the offensive. Bible says resist the enemy and he will flee from you. And the enemy can be ruthless and these things can come at us, but we have to be prepared. We can't go into a battle unprepared. So if you battle with, and I can't cover everything obviously this morning, but if you battle with lust, if lustful thoughts pop into your head, have a list of and I used to t talk to this with the men when I oversaw the men's ministry. Have a list of a half a dozen men that when that, that thought pops in your head, you start naming them off by name and you start praying for them and you pray for purity in their life. You pray that their eyes would be covered. You pray that their thoughts and minds would be guarded by, by Christ Jesus. You start praying for them every time those thoughts come into your, into your mind. You know what? The enemy's gonna stop bringing those thoughts because he understands the power of prayer. He says, man, every time I try to tempt that guy, he starts praying for all these people, and then God answers that prayer. I'm... If, you're caught, if you're in a situation and people start talking negatively about somebody, 
you jump in and you start saying positive things about that person. It'll make them look stupid, make them look foolish. Start naming positive things. And I, it, might, it might be hard. Some people it's hard. But it's there. Anger. You deal with anger. Bible says that a, that a kind word takes that weapon out. So it, it might be hard again, but prepare. Kind words. Write them out. Stick them on your mirror. Kind words. Because if, if, if your tendency is to respond with harsh words, have some kind words ready. Traffic. Determine when, before you back out of the driveway every morning that when that person <laughs> cuts you off, you speak a blessing over them instead of a curse. Pray for them. Pray for their situation. Pray for their family. Pray for the other people on the road. Pray, pray though, because you don't know what they're going through, but God does. Intercede on their behalf, even though you don't know them. If you struggle with bad language, words just pop out and you're like, oh, why did I say I don't want to, I don't want to speak like that? Purposely think up something that will make you laugh, a, a harmless word. They shared first service. My mom's not here to, to defend herself, but I remember when I was, when I was a kid, when something would happen, like she'd, she'd drop something in the kitchen or drop an egg, she would say, oh, peanut butter. <laughs> We'd all laugh, and it, you know, and it just diffuses the whole thing. Be purposeful. Because, guys, we don't have to be this way. We don't, we don't have to fall in anymore. Praise God, he's delivered us from that. And we can walk in this newness of life. Would you please stand with me? Let's, let's pray. If you're here today and you've, you've never given your life to Jesus, you know that you're not born again, it is not a matter of jumping through a bunch of hoops and doing a bunch of things. It's a matter of humbling yourself before God. I want to invite you to do that right now. Just go before God in your heart. You say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm tired of losing the battle to sin. I know my life doesn't please you, but I want to. You're my creator. I know I can't do this. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you died to save me. So would you come into my life right now? Wash away all of my sin and give me that gift of eternal life. And Jesus, give me the power to walk a life that pleases you. Fill me with your spirit. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. If you're here today and you are a born again believer, but you've walked away, you've, you've turned back into, into sin, the enemy would like to convince you that you had your shot and you blew it, but Jesus is standing with his arms open and simply calling you back. It's a matter again of repenting, turning back to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. 
the fact that we are no longer slaves to sin. We're children of God. And we willfully and joyfully submit our lives to you. It's the only, it's the only thing that makes any sense. You are our provider. You are our pro protector. You know everything that we need. And you gave your life for us. Jesus, as we, as we close here today and we worship you together, Lord, we once again say, here's my life, Lord. Take it and use it. Lord, I pray that this week as we go forward from here armed with your word, Lord, that when temptation comes, we see it, we identify it, we deal with it, and we choose you, we choose life. Thank you, in Jesus' name.